Welcome to See the World Differently. Come explore and discover the world around you. Hey, welcome to this month's edition of See the World Differently with Oceanscape Yachts. I'm your host, Rebecca, and I'm having trouble not fangirling all over this episode. Um, I got to interview Paul Rose. You may know him as an explorer. He's a broadcaster. He's an expedition leader for National Geographic Pristine Seas. I met him a few years ago when he was the vice president of the Royal Geographical Society. Um, just one of the most down-to-earth people you're ever going to meet who spends his life you know, working with ocean conservation deep diving, obviously currently sheltering in place like everyone else in the world. Um, But it was fantastic to connect with Paul and have a chat with him. So this conversation, I think, is near and dear to a lot of our hearts who work um, in travel and especially on yachts and with the oceans. Uh, We talk a lot about conservation and the impacts that we have and the changes we can make but also the incredible world that lives beneath the surface and just the experiences that Paul has been able to have um, and then bring back to all of us. So um, he's an author. He has a ton of books out. He's in the process of getting another one. They're starting up their expeditions next year, obviously, after having to postpone um, from COVID-19. But I really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, His website, and we chat about it, is paulrose.org. There's a wealth of information there. He is very approachable. So if you have any questions or want to get in touch, he's very open to it, um, and he encourages it as well. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Paul. Please, um, if you don't already, subscribe, um, rate, and review us on iTunes and Google Play. You'll never miss an episode, and you don't want to miss this interview. Enjoy. So today I'm here with Paul Rose, who I still can't believe that I (laughs) wrangled in to do the podcast with me. We met I'm going to age us here, Paul. I think I met you like 10 years ago or something at a conference in Amsterdam. And at the t- yeah, at the uh, Global Super Yacht Forum, you were still with, um, you were still the VP of the Royal Geographic Society, I think then. Is that That's right? That's right. Yes. yes. Okay. So you might know Paul as that VP. You may know him as an explorer. You're an author. Uh, you're on a bunch of boards. I don't even know where to begin. You literally have so many titles. I just asked you. So introduce yourself a little bit, how you got involved in the oceans and, and what you're up to today. Great. Thanks very much, Rebecca. And thanks for having me with you today. Yep, I'm Paul Rosen. I'm, a, I'm an explorer. And at the moment, I'm the expedition leader for National Geographic Pristine Seas Expedition. So I'm spending most of my life at sea, about three or four expeditions a year, And prior to that, I was the base commander for the British Antarctic Survey for 10 years. So I spent most of my life in the polar regions or in the deep sea. And just like um, all of humanity at the moment, I'm also spending a lot of time at home on Zoom or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) quite a difference now eh? from the cold depths of corners of the world. And now you're sitting at home comfortable. All very good. No complaints. Happy. Yeah, well, that's great. And I know we were chatting before about you know, how that's kind of changed and obviously working with oceans and conservation, sort of the impacts that we're going to have from everyone sheltering and slowing down. I think it's going to be really good for the environment in the end. Well, I think so. Well, it's certainly, you know, everybody seems to develop new skills. Um, I've now swapped being at sea or in the polar regions for being a sort of semi-professional uh, video conferencer. <laughs> and, and at first, it, it, it was a surprise at first because we were running these things and I was trying to get used to not being on a stage or not being on expedition. Mm -hmm. So I very quickly went out and bought myself one of these beautiful green screens so I can use all these flashy uh, virtual backgrounds and it's working really well. And then I bought also a very good 
microphone unit so I can sound a bit better. So that's that's really up the game. Yeah. But it's still nothing nothing quite like being on an expedition or if I'm giving a talk or something, going out on a on a stage at a big event, you know, that, that whole excitement is slightly different when you're at home, isn't it? Yeah, you're not getting that same immediate feedback either, you know, seeing the crowd or uh, the expeditions alone, I can imagine that must be tough because if you've done it for so long to now be totally grounded, was that kind of a struggle for you or I know you've filled your time so you've been really busy, it's, but... It's a great question, Rebecca, thank you. Yes, it's a bit of a mix for me because, um, you know, when you work in the wild places, you're used to being laid up for a while. I mean, you you know, in the polar regions, a big storm comes in and you may think, wow, I think we're going to be stuck in the tent here for about a week. Or if we're on the research station, maybe stuck in the research station for a week or 10 days. Or if we're stuck in the ice on one of the icebreakers, you could be, you know, stuck in the ice for 10 days. Yeah. Um, and at sea, when, when the weather changes and big storms come through, you know, it, you can be laid up for, uh, again, a week, 10 days, easy. So we tend to be good at that sort of thing. It's the old story of don't worry about the things you can't change. The storm is definitely going to go through. It's definitely going to pass. But just look after the things you can change. And the, the golden rule with that is always be useful. Make yourself useful. Do useful stuff. Um, you know, as well as keeping fit and all that, get up on the admin, get up on the communications and all the things that you should be doing. And of course, in this instance, it's learning new skills. So I think people who work on expeditions tend to be pretty good during these um, challenging times. But I don't mind letting you know that I, I have been pretty twitchy every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice when you can get away. I know you're based in Europe now, so there are kind of little off the beaten track like places you can get to so at least it's there's something there but like you say who would have known these skills being stuck you know in your tent for 10 days would now pivot to helping you stay entertained when you have to actually stay in your home I don't think anyone could have predicted what we'd actually be in pandemics maybe but yeah right Rebecca I mean there, there are a few things to celebrate firstly it's the it's the opportunity to learn new skills and the the other thing, you know, we're now seeing headlines in the news that I would have uh, dreamed about a year ago. You know, that you know, we we are seeing good reports on the our relationship with nature. You know, this pandemic arrived because of our out of balance relationship with nature, and the fact now we're seeing people understanding that our health is reliant on everybody else's health and their health is reliant in turn on the health of nature so we're we're seeing that we're seeing this new sort of awakening to the true value uh, of nature and also the cost of not doing anything so i'm enjoying seeing these reports where people saying you know yes science is going to bring us a vaccine um but it's protecting nature that will provide the only long-term vaccine against pandemics we're wow for those of us that work in conservation that's a dream headline yeah true so you think i mean obviously we have a long way to go but in essence this has actually helped wake people up right to protecting our seas and you know we people who have been in conservation have been saying for years you know stop one-time use plastic or we have the ocean cleanups all these different things but nothing on this scale before so do you think yeah. that's really going to push us you know, leaps and bounds from where we could have been if we were just kept charging along? Yes, very much, because the awareness level seems really high. And, you know, it's the three steps, you know, protect what we have, restore what's damaged and reset our values so it doesn't happen again. And of course, I'm seeing this all over the place. And 
about, I must say, two years ago, um, we're part of the big campaign for nature, it's called. And let's protect 30% of the planet by 2030. And, you know, most international um, uh, governments signed up for it. They became a big push for 30% of the ocean and, of course, 30% of the land. And really making good headway in the international conference circuit and a sense of commitment from all the right-thinking global leaders. But now that's really happening. People are really understanding that we that we must protect 30%. And even more exciting, we're using the 30% as a as a waypoint to protect 50% mm -hmm. by 2050. And then to communicate this to conservationists and scientists and people who understand nature, it makes sense. If we protect nature, we look after our own health. Right. But we're also now communicating it by finance. I mean, that's one great way of getting people's attention. And that, you know, if we protect 30% um, of nature, our econo economic returns are about five times the cost of protecting it. And you see this in the yeah. in National Geographic. You see it in the Financial Times. You see it in all the all the main credible news items. So now it's mainstream news that, that protecting nature not only just looks after us, but um, it's good economic sense. You know? Yeah. And it's also, I think, kind of something we never even would have anticipated is everyone is now traveling closer to home. So I know in Canada and the US, like yourself, you also went to some a local, you know, park, green space region. We're seeing it more closely. People used to kind of travel and not see what's right in front of them. So I think by all of us going to our national parks that are already protected and seeing how beautiful they are. Like you kind of want to take that next step um, and protect it, I think, a little bit because you're actually engaging with it a little bit more. Yeah, that's a great one, Rebecca. It's the old story, isn't it? You you, you can't protect it unless you love it. And mm -hmm. so by, uh, you know, on some of our expeditions, we're lucky if we can get uh, a global leader uh, down in our submarine. And they often, it's their first time seeing their waters um, up close and personal for a long, deep submarine dive. And it, it changes their lives. And when they come back out and it makes it much simpler, easier and more compelling for them to protect their own ocean because they've just fallen in love with it. You know, and if we can't get them in the submarine, we'll take them diving. Or if they don't want to get in the water, we'll have them uh, on the expedition for a, a period so they can feel part of the excitement and learn to love their bit of the ocean. Yeah, so you're dead right. I mean, we were just up on the Swiss Jura, a local range nearby for a night's camping and oh, just one night camping yeah. just feels so great. I know. <laughs> it's the little things again, right? Like you said, the simple things again. Um, yes. And I think that's why it's actually been really incredible to see you know, streaming sites too, like Netflix. Obviously, everyone's watching a lot more TV and things like that. And we actually watched Mission Blue. Um about uh, Sylvia Earle, obviously, and it was kind of the similar thing, you know, unless you're actually down there seeing these things, it's very hard for you to grasp, I think. So it's fantastic when, you know, Nat Geo and yourself, you're putting on these different types of media, like you say, you know, whether it's a conference now or people are doing live streams or it's an actual documentary, it's actually in your face a bit more and it's not so abstract, I think, that really helps keep it in your face and relevant, I suppose. Yeah, you're dead right. And of course, you can't substitute traveling. You know, there's that lovely scientific term, ground truthing, which means that you may <laughs> estimate that what's on the ground or in the in the sea at certain areas by remote sensing, but you do need to be in there to ground truth it yourself. And of course, uh, pre-COVID-19, 
um, I was pushing everybody to be to be traveling and, you know, go out there and ground truth the planet. You must get out. Um, but now I think uh, more than anything, COVID um, has shown us that when we do travel, we have to make really smart use of it and be responsible travelers, you know, and be informed travelers. So, you know, do the homework before departure, really do some homework and understand where you're going, what the what that society uh, is looks like, what the economy looks like, what are its motivators, what's happening in that society you're going to. When you're there, have your eyes open, really learn and understand and and, and, and get amongst it so that you, you really have a complete immersive experience. And then when you come back, have a think about what that um, journey has done to you and what your responsibility is now you've made that journey. Maybe it's uh, uh, working amongst your sphere of influence, your, you know, your, your educational partners or your business partners or teams or family or society, community, and, and sort of broadcast the messages and what learning points you've had from that journey. So I think the whole responsible and informed traveler thing, once we do, do start traveling, we're going to see the value of it and it's really going to help us long term. I think we're going to be much more informed. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, actually, that you touched on that, because we do get asked a lot um, with people who, who are going on yachts. Yes, they're luxury yachts. And I know, you know, they're not leaving the smallest carbon footprint. But it's also people are getting closer to that nature that you talk about. So a lot of people do approach us and ask, you know, how can I be a more responsible traveler? Um, is there any conservation? Like a lot of yachts now are doing science teams are going on board and they're helping with marine life and things like that. So I like your explanation because it's actually so incredibly simple. It doesn't have to be, hey, join all these groups and donate your money and your time. It's actually just go and take the time to learn about the country that you're in, the ocean that you're in. And I think that's the biggest thing because we used to see that kind of the opposite, right? You'd go to a resort or something, you'd stay there, it'd be all Americans or wherever you're from, British people, you know, and you're not really seeing anything. So you don't really know what's happening in the rest of that country. You know, it could be a lot of economic strife. It could be that, you know, they draw so much money from tourism, but the actual impact of the tourism, you know, to the um, wildlife or whatever it is. So I think just being educated is such a fantastic idea. And it's so simple, but it's also one that I don't think we go to immediately. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, exactly. And I always think of the super yacht group um, when I when I when I think about that kind of thing, because unlike uh, mass tourism, where you pitch up and you might be in a in a gated resort that does everything and very little contact with the community as you know on a, the super yacht community are very much independent travelers and so you are in and out of various places that uh, most people can't get to and during that period you can have exposure and, and 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 communication and meeting all kinds of different people from different walks of life and mm -hmm. as you say there's a i remember we worked together on it in amsterdam this idea of the super yacht community being engaged in in science and you don't you don't have to spend tons of money and donate this and and register for lots of complicated things it's just becoming a good field observer just notice what's going on around you and take accurate records and becoming part of that um citizen science community i think the super yacht um uh, life is a great one and a, a great example for how we can communicate the importance of ocean conservation through lots of different channels. Yeah. And it is funny because it's something that we actually need it to survive. It's an industry. It's a business. And without the 
oceans, there is no business. So it should actually be top of the list is taking care of your house, you know, like, you look after each other, you look after your family, so that you can continue to enjoy it. And I think sometimes there's a disconnect with that mass tourism, like you say, so hopefully, yeah, when you are one on one, and you're on your boat, and you can get into regions that you might not be able to get to on it, say a massive cruise ship, or, you know, you have access to locals, and you're engaging with people. And I think, for all of us, education is just power, isn't it? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so very, we need all the communication channels possible to communicate the value of a healthy ocean. And the Super Yacht Group have been great. I had a lot of fun at that Amsterdam yeah. uh, Super Yacht Link. And I was, since then, I've been at sea mostly all the time. But we'll have to, we'll have to do another one. Yeah, that's great. I think it's keeping it top of people's mind too, right, is the most important thing. So you mentioned before, um, you know, your expeditions and, and things like that. Do you still obviously before COVID, like, are you still regularly diving? And, and if so, do you have a favorite region? I know you're obviously in the colder parts more. I don't know. Do you prefer diving in the northern regions more than, say, like Raja Ampat or somewhere, you know, more exotic and warm? Well, it's funny, you know, Rebecca, I, I just love to dive. I, mean, I started diving in 1969. And on the expeditions, depending how the expedition shapes up, I mean, I'm the expedition leader, so I can't be in the water all the time. So there are some expeditions that are complicated, We've got a big ship, maybe some accompanying vessels, uh, lots of complications with um, weather and the whole logistical exercise it, that it can mean that I don't dive very much. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a successful expedition. So that's the way it goes. And then other expeditions, turns out that I can be in the water uh, two or three times a day, which, of course, is heaven for me. So right. I love to dive. Um, and it's a strange period at the moment because I'm not diving. Um, I'm, I'm here in Switzerland, which is a long way from the sea. Right. So, <laughs> you couldn't pick a more landlocked place yeah, to no be. Kidding. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll traveling back to England in the next few weeks and be diving then. So for me, if, if I have to pick a favorite place, it'll have to be Antarctica because I dived there for 10 years. Wow. And when we first got the diving set up down there, every single dive was a world's first. And it was incredibly satisfying to be with some of the world's greatest marine scientists and come up after a dive and realize that they didn't really have a clue what we were looking at. You know, I yeah. said, hey, what was this big green thing? And I said, oh, I've got no idea. We've never seen anything like it. And all those new discoveries, um, as well as the obvious things. If I was on a very simple, straightforward Antarctic dive to collect sediment caused from the bottom or something, um, go in, collect sediment, pop back out. But even on that simple dive, you'd hear whale song coming through from oh, under the ice, yeah. you know. Yeah. Amazing dives. Yeah. So I've been lucky. I have dived in many places that are – you know, dream uh, diving destinations for people. But yeah. for me, you know, it's where I started diving. It's the English South Coast. There's a place on the South Coast called Portland Bill, which is a peninsula that sticks out called Portland. And at the base of that is a beach called Chessel Cove. And any time I'm itching for a dive, I go to Chessel Cove. And um, I can't wait. I'm going to be diving there in about three weeks. Oh, great. Right. Okay. That's great that you can, it's full circle. That's the first thing you go yeah. back to, you know? Yeah, it's your story. It almost, I feel like you're the first person on the moon, you know, when you were saying up in Antarctica, nobody's been there. Nobody has any idea. That must be really cool. I don't even know what that must feel like. It really is great. And a lot, on a lot of our expeditions, you know, when we, when we arrive at a place, I mean, our, our mission with Pristine Seas is to find, explore, and then help protect the last 
truly wild, pristine places in the ocean. Um, we've protected just over six million square kilometers so far. So we're very successful and, you know, highly focused on getting act done. But there is that wonderful emotional moment when we're in the planning, in the back of our mind, I'm thinking, wow, no one's actually ever dived here or maybe a few people have dived here or something, but this is, we are the first. And that, that first dive in a brand new place is so wonderfully exciting. So, yeah. so, says, says the man locked up at home. <laughs> Zooming all over the place, as you said. <laughs> Zooming in a different sense of the word now, I suppose. Yeah. Eh? Um, so if you're not diving, you're not on an expedition, you're not writing your books, you're not, you know, working your tail off, where do you like to go to relax? If you were going to go on vacation somewhere, do you have a favorite spot in the world that you go to? Or is it like you say, you know, the simple pleasures of pitching a tent up in, you know, the wilderness somewhere? <laughs> it depends what I've been doing. because uh, <laughs> If I've been working somewhere cold, and it's been a terrific expedition. You know, I mean, the last cold one was up at the Northwest Passage um, in your neck of the woods in Canada, you know. Yeah. So then um, when I've been on a cold expedition, all I can think about is going somewhere warm. You know, let's let's run to the Seychelles and have a diving holiday or let's, you know, get in the get in get in the uh, the Swiss uh, summer alpine region and go for some walks. Or if but if I've been working somewhere hot, then all I want to do is have a have a break somewhere cold and different or if I've been at sea I want to be in the mountains or if I've been in the polar regions then I love to think about you know let's do some nice warm easy uh, scuba diving somewhere so it does tend to flop uh, uh, both ways but but I live here in Geneva Switzerland and also in the Lake District in England both very beautiful places mm -hmm. so there is something about coming home and thinking right uh, let's go climbing or camping or walking or get the canoes out or something so I like the color in life I've always liked that variation in life so that's what seems to drive um, our holiday plans yeah and it's a nice balance like you say you know it's it can't be too much or one or the other so it's nice to, if you've been cold you know thaw out somewhere and vice versa exactly I think it's good I think the color of life and it's funny, you know, because people see me and they go, oh, it's Paul Rose, an explorer, you know, all this polar work and all this deep sea work must be a pretty tough character. And then yeah. it's very funny when I bump into them and I'm and I'm traveling business class or I'm sitting on a train and I'm so happy to get a cup of tea because, yeah. you know, <laughs> after the tough expeditions, you know, you or if we've, we're, we're on an expedition and it's supported by uh, someone from the super yacht community, we, you know, you come up and um, haven't even got your diving gear off and here's someone with a with a bunch of beautiful, you know, cold or hot canapes and a nice cold drink and you're eating this fabulous yeah. food. So, so you sort of, you do need the balance. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think by the sounds of it too, you don't like to stop. So I think it's probably wise that you have lots of different hobbies and things you like to get stuck into. And it's probably great too for not just mental health, but creativity too. You know, you do a lot of that where you kind of need to be thinking outside the box. Like you were just saying, your book, like what upcoming projects can we see from you? Is there anything that you can share or or ask for to look forward to? Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Well, the, we're still um, uh, going ahead with all of our uh, uh, natural pristine seas expeditions. We we normally plan them with uh, the scientific need with with the big science team, and then the political opportunity with our political team. You know, how does this um, 
work for is it, is it a good opportunity is it a good target to get protected what are the politicians you know what are the leaders um uh, motivators and but now we've got a third column and it's called post covid recovery so okay. we're, we're juggling quite a lot as to where we're going to be next we will be at sea next um next year but we're not exactly sure where uh, mm-hmm. because like everybody we're, we're we're juggling everything and we we most certainly don't want to either get sick or inadvertently uh, be part of a team that, that, that spreads COVID around. So that's a, it's a bit tricky there. Yep, I've got some, um, I've just done a new book on the Global Biodiversity Festival, and that will come out in a, in a couple of weeks. And beyond that, um, uh, similarly with my work at BBC, where we're looking at what's next. I've got some new projects coming up that we that we'll start working on pretty soon, but that's been a little bit tricky because normally in television you're with lots of people traveling around doing lots of things so so it's interesting so yeah the next things you'll see for me is the global biodiversity festival book and then hopefully um you'll see me online with with more of this kind of stuff yeah great well and i want to let everyone know so your your website's paulrose.org and yeah and do you have any social media channels that you use a lot or people can go to direct us or i'm sure they're all on your website i i I use i use twitter a lot uh facebook a lot instagram a lot and linkedin a lot and um and i'm a good communicator so if people want to have specific questions or comments then write to me on the website at paulrose.org i've got a good little form there it comes one copy goes to the agent one comes straight to me and I'm a very good communicator, and I'll, I'll come back to you on absolutely anything. I'm good at it. I can vouch for that. That's why I got you on here. <laughs> I've had so much fun with you, Paul. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, Rebecca. And I hope to see you either in Amsterdam or at sea very soon. Yeah, otherwise we'll be virtually uh, chatting again soon, hopefully. <laughs> Deal. Great stuff. Thanks very Thanks. much. Have fun. Thanks, you too. Thanks for tuning in to See the World Differently. Until next time, keep daydreaming.